We're back, and I'm pleased to say we are continuing this conversation with Eric Prince, a man of considerable um, expertise as well as uh, accomplishment in the national security arena. Um, Eric, we're going to talk now a little bit about uh, this conflict in Russia and uh, between Russia and Ukraine. Um, where are you on this conflict? Uh, there are some who have said it's not our business. There are others who say it should be more of our business. Um, how do you see it? What are the stakes? And most especially, what do you think we should be doing at the moment about it? Well, here's the thing. Um, you know, some on the right have said, well, it's not our business. And, and I certainly do not in any way support sending any U.S. forces to Ukraine. However, uh, Ukraine is a democracy and as imperfect as that democracy is, the people of that country have certainly feet and turned out to defend their land, mm -hmm. whether they're Ukrainian speaking or Russian speaking, ethnic Ukrainian or ethnic Russian, they have surprisingly, inspiringly towed the line and said, not today, I stand, I, I will defend this land. And that's been, um, uh, I, I, I've been to Ukraine a lot. I know a lot of Ukrainians. I figured they would defend, but I didn't think they would, they would come as strong as they have. Mm -hmm. In parallel to that, or in opposite to that, there was a Quinne, Quinnipiac poll about the United States, about who would fight to defend America if it was invaded. And only 40% of Democrats and 75% of Republicans said they would defend the country. So look for as imperfect as Ukraine might be, uh, the people obviously view it worth defending and giving their lives for. And so I think the United States should provide as much material support uh, to include uh, you know, to include aircraft. Look, I gave the Biden administration an option, again, with my name removed already in early December, so they can't play the I hate Eric Prince card, uh, a, basically a combination of Lend-Lease and the Flying Tigers, because when... Um, as you know, in the early days of World War II, before America was involved, the United States provided lots of ships, tanks, and weapons to the UK, defending themselves from the Nazis. There's 200 fighter aircraft being retired this year by the U.S. Air Force that could have been, some of which could have been flown to Ukraine, rebadged, and prevented this entire debacle from happening, would have actually provided real deterrence. But again, the Pentagon has a total lack of imagination, and so now we're left with this, this onslaught. The the advantage, the weather has been to the advantage of the defender so far mm -hmm. and channelizing armored forces onto roads, which are easily mined and ambushed uh, again. But now, as, as we get through what's called the great uh, Rasputitsa, the, the great slush, mm -hmm. as those fields melt and Russian armor can revert to traveling across fields, which they will in the east, it'll be much more of a rural fight. The advantage is much more to the traditional uh, shock and power armor of the Russian. Can army. I ask you a question about this this aircraft option? Because obviously the the need arguably is greater today than before. Um, I've always been confounded by the idea that we could do an air cap or any other real help to the Ukrainians in this regard, given the lack of airfields from which they could operate. And and the ability with and which they can be attacked. There's, the there, there's still there's still attack. still plenty of airfields. There are, and there's still plenty of highways. But you can sure. but you can actually maintain operations from from runway uh, from hundred uh, percent. 
Okay. Yes. Right. For sure. Fascinating. That's a topic for another day. Let, let me let me pivot to this one uh, very real immediate issue, and that is we have been providing them with Javelin anti-tank weapons and Stinger uh, surface-to-air missiles. Um, we've, in turns out, uh, done, I think, considerable good. The Ukrainians have with those arms. Um, we are running short, it seems, in terms of our own stocks of these things, and it'll take us some time to replace them. Um, is that something that we have a workaround on as well, Eric? Uh, and, and most especially, again, knowing what you know about the defense industrial base, what should we be doing to ramp that up? I it's, it's, a, it, it's an example. When you look at how the U.S. spooled up in World War II, uh, it turned to other industries that manufacture like goods. And whether it's the electronics issue industry or semiconductors, et cetera, uh, I think it speaks to the Pentagon making more and more of those designs for these key weapon systems, their designs. So go to two or three other manufacturers and say, build more of these. Because if we're running out of, uh, if we're <laughs> after a, a one fight like that in Eastern Europe um, uh, against the R Russian tanks, if we're that short, then we clearly have a de uh, deficit in our industrial capacity. Yeah. We'll turn that on, especially when you can the armor forces or whatever might come from a, from a China or Iran right. or, or similar. And, and that's really the point is that it seems to me we are so far from a war footing at a moment when the Chinese have made it perfectly clear they consider us to be uh, at war with them, uh, people's war, if you will. And uh, it, it, it's something uh, uh, Steve Bannon had a mutual friend of ours, uh, Hung Kao, on his show yesterday. Um, very impressive guy. We've had him on this program. I hope to have him back. Uh, but as He's you, the embodiment um, of the American dream. He really is. He personifies it. Um, now running for Congress uh, out here in Virginia. But I, I wanted to ask you, he said something that was really quite striking in the course of that interview, uh, that he's looking, having built the Navy budget when he was in uniform, uh, Captain Cow uh, said, we are probably looking at about $45 billion more being required by the defense budget just to meet the additional costs as arising from inflation. And he, he rattled off a string of, uh, that, that translates into four carrier battle groups and a number of different air wings and so on. It, it, given what you just said, Eric, about the, well, deficiencies of our industrial capacity and arguably, therefore, the readiness or at least the sustainability of our military, how do we address that problem, especially given these kinds of economic circumstances? Uh Spending money on stupid programs, A, B, uh, greatly increase the competitiveness. Um, look, there's a lot of manufacturing that's come back to America. Um, but the problem is with the defense base, it has so come to perfectly mirror its government customer that it has every bad habit. And if you think about the efficiency of how you build a smartphone, um, it's almost the same way that you would build a, a man pad. Right, the optical tracker on a, uh, uh, you know, the thirty or fifty magnification power that you have on a Samsung phone, also works well in the front of a of a man pad. It, when you break the components like That's that, the there's an enormous air defense system. Yeah, there's a lot of things that can be done much better, faster, cheaper by the private. 
argue that most of the defense space has come become more of a government bureaucracy structure yeah. with the attendant cost and efficiencies. And so no you need it. a um, reopening of those kind of competitions. And Eric, the, the only concern I have about that is uh, since we're manufacturing most of those smartphones in China, um, is there enough manufacturing capacity here now? Or can we do things that would stimulate um, the revitalization of that industrial base in a sufficiently timely way to be capable dealing with the threat? A lot of it's made in Korea too, fortunately. So it's not all in China, but there are um, demand signals that the defense budget can initiate that will also uh, push a, a, a relocalizing of that defense base. And it should Vitally be- Vitally necessary, needless to say. Um, Eric Prince, we are out of time, I'm sorry to say. Uh, this is one of those moments where I could literally go on for days with you, and uh, I hope that we'll have a chance to do so um, on a little bit more um, a leisurely basis in the near future. But in the meantime, I, I just want to say thank you for the willingness to think outside of the box and to bring it to the attention of political figures whether they want to hear it or not, um, your ideas and your workarounds are mostly genius and are so desperately needed at this moment. And I want to thank you for continuing to provide that service to our country. God bless you. I, I, I will keep you. barking. Maybe they'll listen someday. You will definitely get the moon's attention. You've gotten ours, that's for sure. God bless you, sir. Next up, we'll speak with Grant Newsom, a bit more about China right after this. <laughs> 